If you're always on the go like myself and don't have time to sit down and read, Audible.com is a great source to be able to catch up on the latest bestsellers. Listen to it while on the road or at the gym. Audible.com is a leading provider of premium digital audio information and entertainment on the internet. Audible content includes more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Audible carries Audible books in every genre imaginable business, classics, history, self development, just to name a few. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30 day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash replay and choose from over 180,000 audio programs. Download a title for free and start listening. It's that easy. Currently, I am listening to the classic One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish. One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish, Black Fish, Blue Fish, Old Fish, New Fish. Okay, that's、This、genius. Go to audible.com slash replay. That's audible.com slash replay and get started today. Hi, afternoon. Good evening. Thanks for the, to the Defy Media guys for that、uh, free content. We're not paying them, but we will show it to them, and that increases their exposure, and we told them that's good for them. So that's a good business model for any of you who are looking for good business models.、Um, whenever I put one of these conferences together, this is the third one we've done in this location. If you've been before, thanks for coming back.、Um, sometimes people that I'm talking to who I want to attend this or want to sell a ticket to, or even people on the own staff say, well, what's this about? And I say, it's about the convergence of. Technology and media and disruption and game changing.、Um, but really, the, the answer is always the, the easiest answer is I get people on stage that I want to talk to in normal life for my real job.、Um, and I just happen to bring them on stage. So I find the most interesting people who deal with media, who do, deal with technology, who deal with that intersection. We talk. That's as simple as it gets.、Um, and I don't want to talk anymore until we have some people to talk to. So I want to bring on BuzzFeed Zay Frank and screenwriter John August. I'm always、yeah. a little nervous if we show video in front of you guys because I want your professional seal of approval. But I'm assuming since you came on, you. It sounded、it. good. Good. It did. Yeah. That's the correct answer. And thanks for being good sports since they made fun of you, too.、Uh, we didn't hear that part. We didn't hear that.、Right. Perfect.、Yeah. See?、Oh, shit. I had no idea. So, what I wanted to do by having you guys on first, we're, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about video over the next day and a half. And I thought we could sort of get a sense of the parameters of where things stand today. And you guys have also watched video evolve over the years movie making, video making, TV making. John, you put together a lot of stuff. Zay, you were at one of the, you were sort of a web video pioneer.、Mm-hmm. Um, and at one point, you guys worked together. We did. That was, what, seven years ago, eight years ago? Yeah. Eight. No. Eight, do you want to describe what, what you worked on? So, I had this idea for, this was during the writer's strike. So, WGA was on strike. Uh, we were not allowed to be, we had to put down our pens and not write things for the studios. And so I said, you know, I had kind of this idea. And so we could just do a little experiment. We could make this little web series. And that was back in a time where you could say web series. And I was like, oh, well, who knew? Maybe it's a、and、web series. There were a、series. lot of writers who were saying, I'm going to go、oh, no, on the web. A, let's make a web series. And so I made a little web series, a pilot for this company that was spun out of UTA called 60 Frames. And、uh, I wanted cool people in it, cool people,、uh, including、um, people on the stage. And、uh, so we made this little thing. And, It was a great experience. Was, I, I had this idea for a show that was kind of like a cross between the office and the stand. So it was post apocalyptic, but funny. Like, the end of the think world was not that bad. Do you think this was a temporary thing, or do you think this is going to be a, the next version of The Office? And I thought it might be the next version of The Office. It was just an experiment. I love doing those little experiments where you're, like, you're not 
it's not costing a lot. The whole thing cost us 30 grand to do, and it was just to see what would this be like. So can, can we show people the, the remnants video, and you can yeah, sort of yeah, see yeah, yeah. what that was like. You'll see Zaya's more hair, and you'll, you'll get the idea. Yeah. Sweet. Josh! Josh! We! We what? We. Wow. I know, right? I mean, these were so hard to get. There were lines, uh, rain checks, eBay. Remember eBay? I do. I wonder how much this is worth now. Well, considering the collapse of civilization and the economy, the lack of electricity and with it the means to play a video game, the fact that there are now more Wiis than there are people to play them, I'd say the demand curve's pretty much flattened. It's only worth as a cultural signifier for a past age, and in that sense, it's priceless. Chaz, I got a Wii. Sweet. How much you want for it? <laughs> so that was good. Yeah. I, I liked your, your mullet. That was good. Um, so that looked good. It kind of looked like The Office. You made it for thirty grand. That seems like something you could have continued with. What? Why didn't you? Why didn't it work? You know, it, I think we were trying. It was at a time we were trying to figure out what web video was like and what the next thing was going to be. I mean, YouTube existed, but there weren't really series. People talked about webisodes of our Webisodes, exactly. And so like, this was a web, web pilot. It was expensive for a web pilot. It was like 12 minutes long and had sort of high production values. And Ernie Hudson and Justine Bateman had like real people in it. Um, we were trying to figure out what that next thing was, and it wasn't that. Um, we had a hard time finding ways to, to sell that. There's a Pringles tie-in, um, and Zay did a great job with his Pringles tie-in. Um, I didn't even know it was a Pringles tie-in. There was a Pringles tie-in. No, I didn't know. Uh, it, was, it was the idea. That, that's how good, good it was. That's, that's, how, that's, how, that's, how, that's how seamless how good, it was. Um, but there wasn't a way to really monetize that thing yet. And it was, it was also in a pre-Kickstarter era. I remember saying, like, oh, is there a way we could draft the remnants? And like, Kickstarter didn't exist yet. So it was just, it was ahead of its time, but I think it was also just wrong. I think it just wasn't, it was trying to do TV in a web format, and then web does not want to be TV. So, and that's one of the things I want to talk about for the next half hour is, because I think theoretically, economically, you could make that mm -hmm. today, but it seems like you still wouldn't want to make that, especially if we look at the stuff you're making today. You've got enormous success over the last couple of years. We were talking backstage, I remember when you got hired, it seemed like Jonah Peretti had hired you at BuzzFeed almost on a whim, and maybe because you were old friends and didn't expect much of it. And now, just give people a sense of the scope of what you're doing, the number of uh, videos you're producing, how many people are working on them. Yeah, sure, so we started two years and four months ago, uh, and that was, you know, there was two of us, I think, or so. Um, and one was a coder, a developer. <laughs> uh, so now there's 160 people. Uh, it's a four-acre campus. We've got 25,000 square feet of production. We put out about 50 videos a week, uh, ranging from a minute 45 to 12 minutes or so. Um, and yeah, it's a range of scripted, unscripted, shorter than short form, short form. Um, and yeah, it's a lot of fun. And you're doing this at scale because it works, but the stuff you're doing doesn't really look like that either. I mean, I, I can't tell you a BuzzFeed video if I saw one necessarily, but I might have a kind of good bet. And it doesn't look like, it's not a scripted series like that. Oh, there are. Yeah, there's scripted series in there as well as, you know, things that, that look a lot like documentaries or reality TV. And, and it's, a, it's a huge hybrid. I mean, we've put out almost 5,000 videos now. Um, so it's really difficult to, to um, characterize it uh, based on, on, the, on the sort of form of the content. Really what unifies everything is the process by which stuff is made, um, which we can talk about a little bit more. Yeah, you want, you want to start talking about that? I mean, yeah. you've obviously got a, you call it BuzzFeed Motion Picture Studios, right? Did I get that right? It's just BuzzFeed Motion Picture. BuzzFeed Motion yeah. Picture, but it's a, it's a factory, right? You are doing this at scale. 
Um, are you doing things people haven't done before in terms of figuring out how to create these things to do 50 a week? Well, I mean, so, so, so even like, you know, characterizing it as a factory, I think is really interesting, right? Because that's, in, in a way, that this kind of industrial model has been the basis for, for production uh, in, in the film business. That's kind of like what early studios were modeled after. And, and, and if you look at that, there's a high division of labor, right? There's a lot of specificity. You have a writer's room, you have directors, you have the gaffers over here, and, and, and they can coexist on a lot, but they're, they're you know, in different Different, different slots, right? Um, so, so I was actually kind of naive about the old studio system, but I knew I, what I loved was how Hollywood thought of old Hollywood or depicted it, which I always saw as like, you know, somebody like walking down like a little fake street with a moon or, you know, on their shoulder and somebody's like, hey, Lenny, how you doing? And like, it was clear that they worked together and they had this relationship. And, and so that's sort of what I thought it was. I thought it was almost like this creative commune. Um, and so that's what I leaned into. I, I found out later that it was actually like highly leveraged and like, you know, really divisive and there was like a lot of uh, tensions going on. But so, so with us, um, you know, one thing that we, we, especially in the short form business, it's changing as we're adding layers of feature uh, production and things like that. But uh, we took out the division of labor. We hired, uh, really leaned into the, the modern crop of talent, which they're generalists. They know how to do all kinds of stuff because the so software you write, is cheap. You shoot, you yeah, you can do all different things. Obviously, you have, you have specialties. But the other big thing is that modern talent is used to a lot of uh, iterative processes. They're used to releasing a lot and getting feedback right away. So the idea of bringing them into a system where they're, they're asked to slow way, way down and just focus on one thing and don't worry about it and then get notes, you know, basically. How long does it take to make a single thing? Well, it's, it, I don't want to call it a piece of content. It could be, I mean, there's, there, you know, we have a, a whole culture of one-day bangers, as we call them. Uh, so that's just, you have a concept in the morning, it's, it's out that evening. And then some of them take a week, two weeks, and some, if they're based on, uh, you know, following people around the world, real world can take a lot longer. So you've, you've got 160 people working for you, making content. Um, there's, a, there's a model out in the web video right now for, it used to be called MCNs. I don't know, maybe the people don't like that term anymore, but that's... Oh, really? That's some people... Uh, making stuff for you, but then you get you go out and you get a lot of other people to make stuff for you, sort of syndicate it. Why not? Why not go that route? Why not get other people to make things and then just help distribute it? Well, I, I mean, so so we and I sort of fundamentally believe that there that there is a lot of significance in what has changed in in the the talent pool changing, in the mode of production potentially changing, and especially the mode of distribution, and that. Our job right now is to actually figure out what happened, um, not to just look at them as individual um, places to basically exploit. Um, so uh, one, one aspect of having, you know, so, so the, the, the model maybe six years ago is you'd have a you know, vertical integration of a website and you'd have like, look, we're the distributors, we also have a sales force, we have a creative force, we have a data stack, like all that kind of stuff. And now um, I, I see that happening again, except we would call it network integrated, right? There's all these different platforms. Each one of them behave a little differently, so there's a lot of value to have your talent also shoot and you know, be in the writing process and like sit right next to the data team and ask them questions and have like these dashboards. And, and we build sets. We don't build them at the time of the project. We have these standing sets that anyone can kind of work in, and, and they learn how to think in terms of the space that they occupy rather than what I would, you know, I would say that there's a lot of wasted variable cost in, in the traditional production model. So, so it's really, it's an attempt to uh, lean into a lot of the efficiencies that, that come when you, you package all this stuff together. So it's 
part factory, part lab, it sounds like, part experiment, but with a lot of people. Yeah. I'm assuming most of the folks there are fairly young. You got someone like John August here who's made content, made movies and TV for a long time. Would there be a place for someone like him with a wealth of experience at, at your setup? Yeah, I mean, we, we're working on that. Um, it, is, it is a little difficult, and John can kind of explain why. Uh, but, you know, part of it is that <clears throat> what John does is fundamentally different than what our short form is about, right? Our, our short form, the, the way we think about the, the generation of ideas, the way we think about how the media exists in the landscape and the impact that it has, and even how to measure the impact, uh, is is pretty different. Um, and John, as we you're, move you're into, very smart, yeah. right? So, yeah, very I mean, smart. Do you want to adapt to this world, or do you want to keep doing what you're doing and, and just realize that the sort of boundaries are a little narrower? You know, I think for people who are in my position, what's been exciting over the last five years has been the rise of more outlets for the Netflixes, the Amazon videos, the chance to make this sort of long-form, creator-driven series um, that would be impossible otherwise. And so that's been the exciting change for us because we're trying to make things that are that are long, things that are half an hour or longer than that, and that's not the kind of thing that Zay has yet done. I think the real interesting question is, will stuff that he's doing grow up into this longer format and succeed, or will some people who are making these half hour shows start making shorter shows and shorter shows, and will there be a meeting in the middle? Right, are you in, I mean, so you know how to make movies and TV shows, but I mean, why not make Vines too, if people want to watch Vines? Maybe. It's a question of whether the skill set is really the same. And so when we talk about sort of these generalists that are doing this, these are kids who went, you know, I, I work, I help out at the USC Film School. And so when I went to USC Film School, you went to film school so you could touch a camera, so you could like use, shoot films, so you could learn how to do all this stuff. I talk to the kids who get in there now, they've already made a movie, most of these kids. They, they have better cameras than we had when we showed up there. So um, they have these different skill sets. So I don't know that it's necessarily going to be my generation that's going to sort of step into that role. It's going to be interesting to see whether the people who are doing stuff for Zay's generation will progress into these bigger things. Do you assume that they'll want to graduate? I mean, Zay, are you, I don't, do you, do you I don't think? know they need to. Well, yeah, this idea of graduation is really tricky. And, and I think it gets in the way uh, of, of, I think, really understanding some of the uh, some of what's happening in terms of the way that content interacts with the ecosystem as a whole. And, and so what we talk about a little bit is this idea of the garden versus the stream and the differences um, in terms of what you expect content to do. So the garden is what, we would, what we're all kind of comfortable with. It's what a movie theater is. It's what Netflix is. It's a place where there's flowers, there's beautiful flowers. And you place know that there's, there's, yeah, there's, so when you say like, I'm going to watch some TV, that's what you're signaling. It's like this thing called TV exists that has a sort of a, a general sense, you have a general sense of what the content is going to be like and your expectations are gonna be met. Same thing with Netflix, all, even YouTube to some extent. And, but more and more people are, are moving into these environments which we would call the stream where it's like, you know, there's gonna be like a picture that your mom took and then there's gonna be like some funny gif and then there's gonna be a link out to a news article and then there's gonna be flowers as well, these videos. And the question is, 
is, is the stuff that works really well on the stream the same stuff that works really well in the garden? And we, I would say that it isn't. So you're, you're making stuff for the stream, I assume, We're making right? stuff for both, but, but so in the stream... And, and by the way, stream right now is a euphemism for Facebook primarily, right? It would be, yeah, news feeds, Twitter, things like but, that. But like, and primarily you guys have grown because Facebook's grown, and, and, and you think you started off growing a lot on YouTube, and it seems like that's crossed over, and now the majority of your views and referrals are coming from Facebook. No, it's still YouTube. Yeah, still YouTube. It's, it's still the majority. I mean, you know, it's 950 million uh, views a month right now, and, and there's, you know, we, there's about 26 different places that we syndicate to, but yeah, the big, the big forces in the room are YouTube and Facebook, um, but, but YouTube was the, the, the big story for the first about year and year and a quarter, and then when Facebook really took, uh, took video on aggressively, um, you know, flipped. We, we started to, well, not flipped, no, but I mean, it has, it's very, very significant. We look at it as as a, a platform that has its own mechanics that really have to be looked at. I mean, autoplay in and of itself has changed the game right. quite a bit. Um, but I just wanted to make one more point about the stream is that the, if you look at you know, the companies that lean into or uh, content makers that lean into the mode of distribution that has opened up, the mode of distribution really is about social, right? And the, the content that gets used in social environments tends to have a conversant quality to it. In other words, you're appropriating media for conversation. So there's social drivers behind that, whereas the garden, I would say, is driven more by consumption and the, the deep human connection that's quite, quite a bit more personal that has to do with consuming media. Uh, so, I want to show an example of, of something that, I, that you made that I saw in my stream, which is in Facebook. It's, it's the couple fights video. Can we show that? Yeah, yeah. A little clip. That's not how you fold the towels. It doesn't matter how you fold a towel. It does matter how you fold a towel. If you want it to fit in the closet, you have to roll it. Oh my god, could you chew any louder? This goes on here. It takes two seconds. Well, then the next person who comes in will do it. That's not the point. Hey, did you throw away my leftovers? No. I could have sw- Oh, you bitch. What did you call me? Nothing. The toilet paper goes over. It's printed that way so you could see it. No, the toilet paper goes under so that the cats don't get at it. That makes no sense. What do you want to get for dinner? I don't really care. Then just pick something. You choose. Told you. Shut up. Yeah. So a bunch. Yeah, so of, I assume a bunch of people here have seen it, right? Yeah. And I, I saw it on Facebook. I enjoyed it a lot. I never really considered whether it was a BuzzFeed video. I mean, because I look at it professionally, I knew that it was. But it didn't really matter to me where it came from. It was something I enjoyed. I shared it. Then I kind of moved on. Are, are you happy creating content that I'll sort of think about for two minutes and then move away from? Well, so, so yeah, that's, this is a good example of, of something that works incredibly efficiently in the stream, right? And, and if you look at it, that had something like 40 million views and two and a half, three million shares. Um, and we, we were kind of talking about this a little bit from, from a structuralist versus post-structuralist standpoint. It's like, it's if you look at It's a little heavy because we're yeah. going to have cocktails later. Yeah. <laughs> no, but if you look at it from a sort of traditional viewpoint, like there's no arc. You don't know no the backstory arc. of the it, characters. Yeah, yeah. You don't need to know anything about those characters other than that they're showing, they're on your screen and they're talking to each other. And they're just doing things that you'd expect to see in a sitcom, but without any of the sitcom trapping around them. Right. It's just them. Right. And so you could have that exact joke in uh, some three camera sitcom or in just a, you know, a straight single camera sitcom, 
but it's devoid of all the other context. It's just that. So as a screenwriter, do you go, that's amazing, I can't believe they figured out how to do that, or do you go, that's kind of the opposite of what what, I do. What's frustrating is that, you know, it's just like you're just eating popcorn one at a time, there's no actual meal happening. There's no story, it never gets anywhere, it's just that thing. Yeah, so, so, and that's, I think those are all valid points, right? And, but, but what's really interesting about it is if you look at the shares, right? If you look at the share statements, it's people tagging each other. It's, it's couples basically tagging each other. And so if you think about what's happening there, the video is, is a way for couples to bond over something. So if you look at two and a half million of those instances where it's like, hey, so-and-so, like, we, you know, Three of the four of these are totally us. Like, there's impact there. So not only are the viewers doing the work of sharing it for you, they're, they're actually making it more significant by adding yeah, context. Yeah, they, they add the significance or the content. That's why I call it post-structuralist. Right? And, and John calls it popcorn. Yeah, I mean, but it but it can it can kind of be both, right? I mean, so so the idea that you spent two and a half minutes uh, on it is fine for me as long as two and a half million people used it as a way to connect with somebody that they care about, and and it's not always that virtuous, right? right? It, but but it is it is allowing some of the significance to get pushed out. That's that's sort of what I mean by the stream. And and the the interesting thing when we think about our our, our the difference between those businesses is that with the stream, like you might have seen that, it, there's, there's like seven of those. You wouldn't know where to get the other six, right? right? And that's okay, because, because the content is gonna find its relevant audiences. In, in, the, in the garden, it's really important to have the metaphor of place, to have this idea of you know, personal affinity to characters and then having lots of mechanisms to drive that so forward. The fact that that's not really associated with buzzfeed.com or a BuzzFeed app, and I, maybe I'm not even sure where I found it. I didn't know there are six other ones. I think for a lot of people in this room, that would pose a problem. Like, you've made all this stuff, you've generated all this, all this interest, and then you can't funnel that interest to another. You can't step it up somewhere else. Um, it's, it strikes me that a lot of the videos you make aren't related to stuff that's on buzzfeed.com at all. Like, they seem to exist independently. I would, I think normally there'd be a push to sort of push this stuff together so one thing feeds the other and at some point there's maybe even revenue involved. Um, is there pressure to, to sort of move your stuff closer to what the rest of BuzzFeed is producing? Um, no, I mean, you know, so, so BuzzFeed Motion Pictures was in, in a sense the first stage of what we would call a network integrated company. So, so the idea being that we don't have an O&O. There is no, you know, I, I think only 5% of our views come from buzzfeed.com. Um, so there is no O&O player. We lean into all of these different publishing areas and we take each of them pretty seriously as their own publishing environments. We try to learn as much as we can about content specificity in those areas. So, you know, there's, when you look at the modern reality, you, if, you, if you're in the business of generating content, right, you make content, you put it somewhere and something comes back. It's either dollars, learning, data, relationships, uh, and so that's, that's the kind of equation that we look at, is, is what's coming back, and if it's not much revenue, we want to learn a lot from it, and if we don't learn anything, we'll want a lot of revenue back from it. And in some cases, some of these things are ads to begin with, right? What, what percent of the stuff that you're making is on behalf of an advertiser? So it's a little less than 10%. Uh, so we, we make uh, 50 pieces of content uh, a week, and you know uh, maybe 30 uh, branded videos a month, uh, right now, uh, branded content pieces, yeah. So John, you're watching the stuff from afar, yeah. it's not what you do. Are there lessons that you can take from the success of BuzzFeed and, and YouTube and Facebook in general and say, well, even when I'm doing longer form stuff, I should think about this? Yeah, so I mostly work inside the garden. So I'm working on things that have copyright, where they're obsessed about chain of title, they're obsessed about these big properties and defending these properties. And so when it comes time to 
uh, sharing and all these data metrics and stuff like that, that's really part of promotion. It's promoting this, this thing that you've made. And so this thing that I've made is, is, is the goal, is the end product. Um, it's a very different experience than just like the stream. It's just, just, just like you know, pushing stuff out there and getting people's attention at the moment. We need to get people's attention for that opening weekend so that people can, will show up and like pay their dollars for it. Or if we've made a, a series for um, some show, all of our effort is getting people to watch that that first week so that we'll keep talking about it. So you think of this as, and you think that's the smart way to view it, to view, to view BuzzFeed and, and Facebook and YouTube in the same way that Purina does, right? To sort of get people's attention for a thing that you want to sell them. That is the challenge that we keep going through is because we have these classic ways of promoting things, and yet the, the audience, I think what Zay is very smart to re recognize, is the audience wants to take ownership themselves. They have an emotional ownership of these properties, these things, and so you have a character like Hulk. People have this strong relationship with Hulk, and so you are trying to make your movie, but you're also trying to understand and protect their relationship with Hulk or the characters in Fifty Shades of Grey. And you can control that to some degree, but you mostly just have to understand it and hopefully use that in a way that gets you a good opening weekend. We've also got one more example of, of, of someone taking something that's produced in a yeah. conventional manner for HBO and, yeah. and then riffing on it themselves. And you, and you suggest, this is not something you made, it's, it's just something, something, I mean, it's something I thought was interesting. Can we show the, the, the uh, Gay of Thrones clip? So baby Kristen Stewart was totally about to murder Dog the Bounty Hunter, but then Dog the Bounty Hunter wakes up and she was all like, aren't you gonna take me to the Capitol? And he was all like, fuck Geoffrey, fuck the queen. I'm gonna go take you to your mom's and your brother because they about to give me some cold hard cash for that ass, okay? Yeah, we considered Macy Williams for a role on the Borges, but she just wasn't showtime material. So then you had Christina Aguilera serving me some fucking American Apparel Circle Scarf, UNICEF, Angelina Jolie, and Afghanistan fucking tea, honey. So then she finds these guys who you think can help her and you're like, they totally look Calvin Klein models, but then they open their mouth and they start nagging on her like some professional pickup artist. <laughs> so that's Game Gay of Thrones, and so it's for Funny or Die, and what I love about it is and that- And obviously HBO's okay with it, otherwise it wouldn't exist. Yeah, exactly. Right? So, you know, it's a case where they're appropriating this video and this appropriating Game of Thrones, but putting it in a fictional context of this guy who just won't stop talking about it to all of his clients. and. It's the kind of thing that can only exist now. It can only exist in the web. There's no other place where that thing could exist. And I think that's the exciting time we're at right now. Whereas when you make stuff for Netflix or Amazon, right, you're making stuff that would run on TV. It just absolutely on Netflix. And Netflix and Amazon, they feel like they're just extra cable channels. And it's awesome that we have them and we need them. Um, but it's just another channel. This is a, a unique, special thing that exists just now. Right now there's this explosion of new outlets, Netflix, yeah. Amazon, uh, places you, I, I see ads for cable channels I've never heard of. Absolutely. I assume this is all to your benefit, right? It's a People huge need benefit as, as writers, directors, creators, to be able to, more spots where you can put your shows is a huge Do you think this advantage. is a temporary blip or you think this is the way things are gonna be? I don't know, I, I hope that it, it's able to continue. A lot of people are trying to make a lot of stuff and if it's scripted stuff, that helps us. So let's bring this full circle. We started off by talking about a show that you guys made together that was an attempt to really make a TV style show for the web, and we spent half an hour talking about how no one's really doing that. Should we be trying to make TV-style shows for the web, or are they really distinct things? No. I don't know. I mean, honestly, those are two words uh, whose definitions are, are kind of crumbling every day. And uh, so, you know, I think I, maybe the big discussion it has to do with this idea of luxury content or you know a lot of people want to distinguish between well short form is that thing over here but really that that's very different than premium high quality content and and i think that, that it's true there is there is a big 
uh, difference between them, but less so in the formal sense, but more in the business uh, in the businesses that prop them up. Do you think the audience who's watching this distinguishes and says, well, that thing is more valuable than the other? I like them both, but I realize that one is something I should pay for or is worth more. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I, th I think that they, they certainly have uh, legacy behavior that, that pushes towards purchasing some one form over another. Um, and I, I see a lot of signals that that is changing to some degree. How fast it does, I'm not sure. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the bottom line is there, there's just, it is such an exciting time to learn about content rather than picking which form of content is going to win. I, I really do believe that, that the, the formal aspects of content are going to follow uh, a, a deeper commitment to trying to understand the overall mechanics of, of how media uh, exists and, and how people value it in, the, in their lives. And I think that's the real undercurrent of what's happening right now. It's fun to write about. I know that. Um, you have two big brains here. Um, Zay will promise not to use the word post-structuralist. Mm -hmm. Um, if you've got I, questions you, you, for him. Well, maybe he might You're use. pulling a Marcus Aurelius uh, right now. I, I've got yeah. other questions, but I'd like to hear from the audience. You guys always have better questions than I do. Do we have microphones set up? No microphones. Oh, no, oh, no one's. Shy. You all paid money to be here. Dude, there's, there's mics back there if you want to stand up. Hello. Um, my name is Spanky Valentine. Uh, Zay, I first want to say I've been a huge fan of your work for quite a while now. And oh, I think, thank you. I think the work that you did with uh, the Purina commercial, the Dear Kitty, uh, was just brilliant. It was genius. Um, so I guess my question is kind of related to that. How do you feel, I'm a short form content creator as well, and how do you feel just the the loyal viewership, the fans that channels have, um, how do you think they respond when a channel does incorporate a brand integration or something that is sponsored? Uh, I mean, they see, you know, there's a lot of different reactions uh, to, to, to brands. Um, and a lot of it seems to be kind of irrational and jealous. Uh, and then there's some rational criticisms as well, you know. Uh, one big thing for me has been realizing that the, the, that the metaphor of the audience is kind of restrictive in taking full advantage of the, the distribution possibilities of the modern web. In other words, uh, like, you know, if you, if you really focus on the social features of content, your core audience is a tiny, tiny fraction of the people that actually watch stuff. And this is... This Which is, means that only a handful, of a small percentage of people are actually commenting on something that, you, that they yeah, want. Yeah, or even, you know, the, the, you know, the number of subscriber views that we have across all of our uh, content together is less than 30%. So 70% is like, has nothing to do with the notion of audience. Um, so, you know, in my, this is now outside of the context of BuzzFeed, but in my sort of, you know, content creation life, I've taken a lot of U-turns, uh, and I used to do a lot of heartfelt stuff, and then I turned into True Facts, which was this sort of farcical uh, animal series, and, and, you know, that has nothing to do with a brand, but it pissed off everybody, uh, and you know what, people get over it, and the, the makeup of the audience changes. Um, but I do think that you know there are a lot of brands waking up right now. This is almost a side point. That waking up right now and saying, "Hey, wait a second, we're underwriting like a majority of the content business. Why aren't we participating in in the, that business itself?" And I think that that is a, a big thing that's going to be happening. Which and that's is been gonna, going on for a while, right? That clip we showed at the beginning, literally, that was in part that, that paid was for by Pringles, Pringles yeah. which you didn't realize. That I had no idea. Very subtle. It's gotten more overt now. 
but the idea, and by the way, it's a super old idea, right? That's the, the Texaco yeah. theater. I mean, it goes way back to the 50s and before that, the brand saying, this is stuff we're bringing to you. Uh, but I would just say, for, you know, since you're a content creator, I'd say that the sooner you do it and the more direct you are and transparent about it, I think that that's like how the conversation starts getting interesting and, and you know, gets, gets the ball rolling. Uh, because, you know, it's, as a content creator, you have to generate revenue. You're trying to build a business or uh, sustain a life. There's a, a new content distribution form which didn't exist a couple months ago. It's the Snapchat mm -hmm. Discover feature. A lot of people in this room, I think, are very interested in it. It strikes me as very interesting because theory, there's a very large audience there, um, but there's nothing to do once you've watched it. You can't link back into something else's to site. There's no, I guess there are ads, but and there's nowhere to comment on it. What do you guys think of that form as a, as a place to put your work? Maybe. I mean, I find it really interesting to say, like, I'm a you know, short-form content creator rather than saying I'm a writer, a director, I'm a performer, I'm a, an artist. Um, and perhaps something like a Snapchat you know, feature, which doesn't actually let you get any of that feedback or, or monetize in a way, might create some art, at least for a time, until we find a way to... Because you play with those restrictions. Exactly. So like, you know, it, it's an experiential thing. Like You have to be there and see it, but there's no other way to sort of react to it. Zay, are you guys putting stuff that you've built specifically for Snapchat there, or are you taking stuff that would have run on Facebook or YouTube and putting it in Discover? Yeah, we are thinking a lot about Snapchat specifically. I mean, it's, it, I think it is a really remarkable environment. And, and you guys were going to have a, a, you guys were going to be one of the partners, and then you weren't, and there was a leak, and Jonah got upset, but you're thinking about it anyway, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you can't deny how exciting that product is. And, and I don't even mean the Discover product, I just mean Snapchat overall. And, and these small mechanics, like the fact that stuff disappears, has you know, the potential of having pretty big effects in terms of what kind of content works there. And, and the, any of those kinds of big UI changes are really interesting. I mean, even like I said before, uh, Facebook's decision to lean into autoplay has really fundamentally changed the way that we think about the first five seconds of content. You know, at the studio. I mean, because there's and, no sound. Yeah, and, and people are, I mean, I catch myself watching 30 seconds of clips without sound, forgetting to turn the sound on, but still really like, having this connection. And so, you know, it's definitely made us think about post literatism. So, so in other words, post literatism just means not being language dependent so that you can. Uh, My wife's a professor, but I'm not. Yeah. Move across, uh, move across. I love that that's your game. That you're, <laughs> that you're not smart. Yeah. I like that. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but, you know, just like not being language dependent and not being audio dependent means that you can move across international borders. I mean, the, 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 the big uh, example of that is uh, Just for Laughs Gags, you know, this Canadian show, which just like owns the space uh, in this, you know, really lighthearted prank space, but there's no language dependence. It's pretty great. If, if there are no other questions from the audience, dumb guy here is going to keep asking. So, oh, there's one here. <laughs> I'll get in on it. Um, I'm Jamie Becklin from Janrain. Um, so, I think one thing that's happening is that content is getting more extreme, right? Grand scale content is grander, pithy content is pithier. So, everything is sort of moving toward the edge. Um, and I guess I'm interested in um, how you evaluate whether something is effective to an audience, and then how does it inform, inform your own content creation if you're thinking about if we're going to do this, we have to do it better, bigger, smaller, package it differently, package it in the most extreme way possible. 
Yeah, I mean, classically, when you're making TV shows, when you're making movies, um, the, the development process is so long that you're anticipating, like, what, what's a movie three years from now we think we're going to want to make? And so you look at what Marvel's having to do right now with their whole franchise, and they're having to plan out to 2017 and 2018 and where they think everything's going to be. That's a really difficult thing. They're having to predict the future in ways that we can't really uh, predict. Um, this iterative thing that Zay is able to do is, I mean, it's exciting because they, they, can, they can check and see what's working right there and try to make the better version of that widget. Are you going to be able to make the best thing out of that process? I don't know. Are you going to be able to make a work of art out of that process? Are you going to be able to make the godfather out of that process? I don't know. I don't think so. But you're going to be able to make something else that's fascinating. And that's what we're trying to figure why, out. Why does, why, why does an iterative process mean that you can't make something awesome and grand by the time you get to the end of the process? Um, because if, if at every point you are trying to involve uh, people's feedback who may not be able to actually understand what the, who can't see the final product, can't see wh where you're headed, that is going to be the challenge. Because you've got to bake the entire yeah. cake, you can't keep adding stuff. Ab absolutely. So, I mean, the process of making a film is iterative in the sense that you're editing, you're cutting back, you're seeing, sort of, you're testing, you're doing test screenings, but you ultimately have to make the whole thing in order to test it. And that's a huge capital investment. So, does that make sense to you? Do you, do you yeah, want to be able to pull back and just build something and then take a long time to build it and put it out? Yeah. Uh, this, I mean, I have sort of conflicted feelings about this, but I, I, I do, my gut says that it's true that the, the kind of movies like The Godfather, which are this sort of like ultimate expression of, of you know, creativity and, and like pathos and, and all this, yeah, and, and vision, and it's sort of like Stevie Wonder albums, right? Like, you know, these, these like incredibly crafted things that sort of one person took all the way through, they, you, you, you get a sense of them, they feel sort of different. Um, but, uh, you know, on the other hand, what, what we're seeing with this kind of iterative approach, but it's not just iterative, it's also there's highly autonomous units that are just deciding what signals to look at has meant that there's uh, a lot more diversity uh, just in terms of like the types of people that appear in these things, the types of themes, like a lot of content that we thought was niche actually has massive power. Uh, so. So I, I just don't think that they're on the same aesthetic play, playing field, right? We don't judge them by the same aesthetic characteristics. And, and I think that's really important. And I think organizationally for us to try to lean into what we would call like network aesthetics, which aren't visual, which aren't sonic, right? They're, they're, they have to do with some other kind of emotive quality or, or uh, some other uh, property of what's important for people. Um, has, has been the key to that question. One last quick question. Yeah, Steve Wildstrom. Um, other than uh, doing video that has no sound, uh, how do you move this stuff out into the world, especially beyond the English-speaking world? Uh, how much has to be done to make these things appeal to countries that don't speak English? Uh, what a great question. I mean, so... so I, I think in you know John's world they have it down, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean it's it's this giant you know make subtitling, subtitling yeah. dubbing, and then you know these these sort of like marketing. Yeah, they, they, they make it feel specific to each market, so that's why we dub dub movies for these things. But in some cases it's you know finding animated characters who are like not culturally any one thing is really useful. That's why Pixar movies do so well everywhere because it's not you're not locked down to one one actor, one person, one thing. Um, yeah, we. I mean, so so for for 
uh, for the kind of content that, that, that we're looking at, especially in short form that has these social features, uh, they are culturally bounded in a lot of cases. Like weird things that couples argue about is not going to work as well uh, in, in some markets uh, as, as they would here. And even in English speaking markets, there's a lot of variance. There's some, uh, some sort of deep fundamental human truth stuff that, that moves quite well. And then there's, there's stuff that you have to create joint ventures for, and you have to have local partners on the ground, and you have to have studios in other places. And, um, and in some cases, you can actually take uh, you know, people that just came from that country and have them in the studio. What's your, what's your best performing market outside of the US at BuzzFeed? Well, that's interesting. I, uh, I mean, it would be it would it would certainly be the UK, and then um, I think probably France or Germany is uh, probably Germany is is next uh, after that. But you know, it's it's really video specific. Okay, um, but I we would, have a lot of translations in those markets. So I would love to keep going because we yeah. could talk for a lot longer, but we're going to cut it off here. I want to thank you both for your time. Thank you. Uh, thanks so much. Thanks. Thank you thanks. so much. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you.